Welcome to Business Unmuted, a business decision program for the north of England, which is also available on all good podcast sites. The program is brought to you in association with Virtue BMW, part of Gateshead-based Virtue Motors PLC. So if you're in the market for a new used or fleet vehicle, its dealerships are in Stockton, Durham, Sunderland, Malton or York. Growth slowed in February with declining construction and production output stalling the economic recovery a little. The UK's gross domestic product rose by just 0.1% compared to 0.8% in the monthly rise in January. UK retail sales growth also slowed last month with the cost of living crisis squeezing disposable income. The Consumer Price Index measurement of inflation was updated today, Wednesday 13th of April, to 7%, up nearly a whole percent from 6.2%. And the glimmer of positivity shone through when payrolls continued to grow last month and are now half a million above pre-pandemic levels. Now, my guests today are Fraser Brown, founder and managing director of motor trade consultancy Motivize, Emily Carver from the Institute of Economic Affairs, and Martin Mateig, a Northeasterner who's now national chair of the Federation of Small Business. Welcome all. I'll start with you, Emily, if that's all right. It's been a funny week in politics. If we ignore the political stuff, though, and look at the economic stuff, and also how the political stuff affects the economic stuff. How do you see the economy at the Institute of Economic Affairs at the moment? What's your what's your outlook sense? Well, it's a very mixed picture, and I do try to be quite positive when I look at the economy. It doesn't particularly help to have economists talking down our prospects as a country. That doesn't really help us in any way. I would say on the GDP, yes, we've had that awful figure of 0.1% growth in the last month. But if you take away governments, but it's sort of distorted by the sharp fall in government spending on the NHS test and trace system and also on the vaccine rollout. So if we exclude those factors, UK GDP rose by more than 1% oh, in wow. February. Well, they so, are quite significant one-offs, those, actually. I hadn't, uh, th- because they, they were in the billions, not in the hundreds of millions, weren't they? Yes. So, I mean, and if we look positively, if we look to Europe, our economy is faring better than most of our European counterparts. And that may have a lot to do with the fact that we eased restrictions, we eased COVID restrictions before many of those other countries did. You know, the euro growth is only likely to be 0 to 0.5% in Q1, whereas we're looking towards at least 1%, fingers crossed. But of course, that's pretty anemic growth by any means and it's not something that we can particularly celebrate Mm. all that all we can say really is that it could be much worse um but i do think the problem that our government has is that they're failing to have any sort of pro-growth agenda we're seeing businesses small businesses individuals being hammered by taxes that national insurance increase the labor market stats as you said are looking quite positive but what impact is that going to have on small and medium-sized businesses and also bigger corporations when it comes to hiring. So, and then of course, we've got to look at inflation, which may reach double figures in the next year. So it's a mixed picture. We're not doing as badly as some other countries, but I would like to see the government seek to, well, commit itself 
to lowering that tax burden because it's at a 70-year high at the moment and that's simply not sustainable in my view. Okay, Emily, I'll cover to the others in a minute, but let's just ask you about inflation because I've got Martin on the line and Martin and I are of the generation, I hope you don't mind me saying this, Martin, but we're of the generation <laughs> that remember really high inflation. I don't know about you, Martin, yeah. but I remember my mother sending me down to the shops as a sort of 12-year-old to get cans of food because they were worried about inflation and you saw the cans of food and there were different sticky labels on as the cans in the supermarket on the shelves has had the prices uprated within a few days of each other. And inflation is, is, is a serious issue, isn't it? Because it's the biggest tax of them all, 7% at the moment. Well, exactly. It acts as a tax on our spending power. We have less disposable income. This is going to have a huge knock-on effect on consumer spending and on businesses who have to decide how much to pass on that cost to their customers. It's very difficult for individuals and businesses. But I do think that it is in large part the price we're paying for lockdown. We switched off the economy in large part. We then paid people money to stay at home on furlough. Of course, the Bank of England through quantitative easing and so on essentially printed a hell of a lot of money and that's been in circulation. And so that's obviously going to have a huge impact. And then added to that, of course, the energy crisis, the squeeze on, on mm. that is contributing massively as well. So I do hope that the Bank of England will uh, restrain itself when it comes to that quantitative easing, slow that down. Uh, perhaps they need to raise interest rates further, and that will hopefully hopefully bring down that inflation uh, that, next year. But the, there's no quick fix for the government. The Bank of England can send signals out now, because if it had sent them out a year ago, maybe we wouldn't be quite this bad, but they wouldn't be able to have avoided the price of energy going up. And the price of energy is only partially in this uh, this basket of, uh, uh, of inflation, because it was measured last month. And of course, the big energy price rise, the price cap, uh, came off at the beginning of April. So that will feed into next month, won't it? Yes, I imagine we can expect far higher inflation, at least in the short and medium term, before it then gets under control. But that energy issue, this is going to be something that's, of course, as your members will, will know, it's something that um, is hitting supply chains massively. It's raising that price of all our goods and services. And that's going to have a massive impact again on inflation and the amount of money that we have in our pockets. And then added to that, of course, the Ukraine crisis, which is affecting our supply chains in many other ways. Talk about the car sector, that's going to increase prices of some products that we that industry takes from Ukraine, imports from Ukraine. So it's very difficult. It seems that uh, our economies are constantly hit by crisis after crisis. But what I would say is that we are doing, to put a positive spin, we are doing better than most other major economies, at least when it comes to inflation. The US is at 8.5%, Spain is over 9%, Germany is at 7.3%. So at least our living standards are being squeezed slightly less. Okay, so slightly less bad. Now, Martin, let's look at some of the practical effects on this on your members. You're chairing the National Federation of Small Business, having run small businesses yourself and uh, and being involved in the northeast of England. So we're very pleased you're in a national position. Um, what do you think are the primary effects of everything you've just heard from uh, Emily on your sector? What are the common denominators between the different small businesses? I mean, the interesting thing is that I would have said the major contributory factor uh, to inflation would have been energy prices. But the latest data out from ONS suggests that um, it is actually import costs, input mm, costs. Interesting. So in other words, it's business to business uh, transactions that are adding to the, the inflationary pressures. Uh, and from our point of view, 
um, when we look at the spring statement, we were generally quite positive about its impact and where we thought it concentrated its fire. The bit that is really worrying about it, though, is the growth figures he's forecasting. Mm. I mean, he's looking at really anemic growth for the coming years. And, you know, the problem with that kind of approach is that it leads us back into the sort of the politics of austerity, doesn't it? And then we're, we're, we're on a bit of a spiral. I thought it was much more promising when he talked about, look, you know, we can fix some of these things in the autumn. We can look at maybe, uh, you know, training uh, improvements. We can look at R&D. We can look at how intangibles are treated for different businesses. So they're, they're all more positive signs. But generally speaking, it's a pretty nerve-wracking time to be in business. I suppose, you know, if you look at it from the point of view of your members and, and, and I, and I think uh, Fraser very much in your sector, Fraser's a member of your organisation, and if you look at the point of view of your members, we are the smallest of the small uh, parts of the UK economy. The government itself is half of the UK economy almost, or nearly half, and it has to make it pay. And how can Sunak, or any chancellor for that matter, pay for high spending with lower tax? And we all want lower tax. Is there a way to logically uh, square that circle, or are we just having a, a crazy conversation with ourselves if we are convincing ourselves that it can be squared? I mean, I, I think you're right to point out that you know government is a big factor in this, but. Let's not forget there are 16 million people employed by small businesses. That is a major mm. uh, part of the economy that affects the, the way in which lots of people behave, how they, how they spend their money, how confident they feel about investing in their future. So I, I, I think it's really important that we don't lose sight of that. You know, when it comes to uh, what we do about uh, the the government and and it's trying to sort of balance its books. Well, one thing you can be sure about is that in previous wars, and let's not kid ourselves, we're in a in a war right now. In previous wars, the government would have been borrowing a lot of money to try and fund a shooting war. In this particular case, what it's doing is it's asking individual consumers and businesses to carry the burden. So that's completely different. And we have to be really careful about where that could lead. Okay, let's move on to Martin. You run a small business. We'll ask about the sector as well, but what do you, what's your general view on what you've heard from Emily and Martin? I, I, generally, I think small businesses are a touch more cautious today than it was even four weeks ago. Um, you sat here with me three months ago talking about inflation and at the time we had no idea about the Ukraine uh, war that was going to occur and the impact that would have on oil prices and energy prices uh, and I was confident that by the time we got to kind of July, August, September time inflation would start to show signs of coming back under control. Um, I'm now really concerned that we might be looking at an awful lot longer than that um, and from the automotive sector's perspective you know wiring looms the Ukraine is particularly good at producing wiring looms and therefore we've had a number of crises over the last uh, two years. The first thing was 
when car production switched away uh, their supply of microchips, they turned off the supply anticipating uh, that people wouldn't be able to afford cars. Microchips then became a major supply chain issue within the automotive sector and now we have lots of other components, in particular wiring looms, that we just can't get. So as a result what we're seeing is the supply of cars coming into the United Kingdom has gone down an awful lot and the demand has been there. But one of the things that we see in the motor trade, because after houses we are the second most expensive thing that most consumers normally buy, we very quickly see transactions occur in the car sector in the housing sector it can take three or four months to from start to completion. What I've seen in the last two or three weeks is a severe drop-off in footfall into showrooms. We have systems in about a thousand different car dealerships in the UK and we can see very quickly what's going on in terms of people coming through the doors mm. and what we are seeing is a sharp drop-off, the likes of which we haven't seen since March 2020 in the number of people coming through car showroom doors. Now I'm not one for talking doom and gloom, what we are seeing is that's coming back up again now. Um, in terms of people have almost normalised the news around the Ukraine war mm. and we're starting to see footfall increasing back to you know, a significant improvement over where it was very soon after the Ukraine war. It seemed to have a very big effect on consumer confidence and that's had a further knock-on effect to small businesses. Okay, just on used cars, used cars are a component of the consumer price index. It's one of the things that the Office of National Statistics looks at and it did yeah. distort uh, inflation a few months ago because used cars were going up in price rather than down, which is first time in my life. Uh, are they stabilising? Are they still going up? Are they going down? So, as you said, because the lack of new cars available, used car prices started to go up to try and fill that gap. And we've seen an increase in used car prices over the last eight months like we've never seen before. Um, however, this last month, for example, I've just been looking at a Tesla Model X to save myself some money on fuel, as many consumers are, um, to move over to an electric car. That car dropped £2,000 in the book, and that's the first time it's dropped to that level um, in a long, long time. I don't think I've ever seen it drop. So used cars are beginning to become, I wouldn't say we're seeing a huge massive correction, but we are seeing used car prices normalise, i.e. start to drop every month, unlike they've been doing in the last eight months. Fascinating insight. Uh, Emily, we pick up on some of that, but I, I just want to venture not into necessarily the party politics, but into the sort of economic politics of the problems the Chancellor's been having. This is our regional newspaper in the northeast of England, the Business IQ, and of course the Chancellor um, uh, has had these problems that we've all seen in the media, but the economics and business editor of the Northern Echo uh, which publishes this, says that from a limited viewpoint, I like the Chancellor as a person. Un I unreservedly appreciate his decisions and what they've done for Teesside and the wider region. There's a connection between him and Ben Houch and the Mayor, which sees the value of other things, such as the Treasury base coming to Darlington. So there is a buy-in in Teesside between the Chancellor's authority and this levelling up agenda being delivered. And I know that in the north of England, particularly the Tees Valley area, uh, there is a concern that if the Chancellor's ecosystem were to be disrupted, for whatever political reason, it could have an economic effect. Do you think that people who are pricing the Chancellor's authority in understand that outside of London? Um, I, I think it's very difficult for the Chancellor and very difficult at this polit political time, obviously, for him. But I think a lot of people are confused with what levelling up actually means. 
does it simply mean plonking a government building in a northern town instead of being in London? That's not going to do too much for boosting economic activity in certain areas of the country, in northern areas of the country that have been underfunded historically. I imagine that what it will take, and this is something that the Chancellor doesn't seem to want to do at the moment, is to make business more profitable and more viable in certain regions of the country. And that may mean you, that may mean having to cut taxes, deregulate, and make it easier for businesses to get on. You know, talking to people who run businesses, it seems like they're endlessly having to comply, spend money on compliance, obviously spend huge amounts of money on taxes, national insurance rises. All of that, all of that from the Chancellor who says he's a tax-cutting Chancellor or says he wants to be a tax-cutting Chancellor, it doesn't seem to square for me. And I don't think it squares for a lot of people. You can only burden businesses so much and individuals so much before it has a negative impact on economic growth. And that will impact northern towns just as much as it does um, London and other areas of the country. So I think what would be best for the regions and what would be best for the country as a whole is if this government decided to take on board um, what uh, think tanks like my own are saying and really commit to reducing the burden on businesses. And that will help cut costs for consumers as well, because I do fear that, yes, the labour market is doing quite well at the moment in terms of filling uh, filling in terms of people being employed and uh, and 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 well, essentially being employed. Um, but I do worry that the impact of tax rises at this very difficult time for the economy is completely the wrong move for everywhere in the country. I think that's a very interesting point of view. And of course, in your, our part of the world, which is a petrodish for levelling up, there is a huge zone, the first and largest free port in the UK, which does take some of those points on. You can have employer national insurance tackled, you can have business rates tackled and so on. So uh, there is quite a lot of levelling up in that direction uh, as well. Uh, you want to intervene on this? Yeah, Fraser? I mean, we, come back we, to Martin in a minute. We've seen significant impacts locally. We, 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 we recruit for the automotive sector across all of the UK. And if I give you an example, one of the difficult areas to recruit for prior to the pandemic was the kind of from 11 o'clock to 5 o'clock around the M25 from central London drawing angles out. Um, now, one of our hardest areas to recruit is Teesside and the northeast of England. Um, and I've actually lost my um, head of accounts to the Treasury um, to a salary that was double what I was paying her. So there is definitely a positive impact of having, um, you know, London kind of Price jobs up in the northeast of England, and it is definitely going to make a difference to living standards in this area. So, whilst I do take on board the actual, we definitely need to cut red tape, we definitely need to address taxes, the government is too large a part of our economy right now, and we need to address that. But no, I really do believe the northeast has hugely benefited, and having met the Chancellor a number of times myself, you know, I have a huge amount of time. Uh, for him as a person in terms of his ethics and how he um, conducts himself and I was quite surprised by the, uh, the, the, the fines but the impact he's had locally for us has been very very positive. Martin you obviously meet with officials and people in the Treasury you probably met the Chancellor yourself without going into the party politics what, what, are you, what are your take about the issue of the economic stability that changing somebody of that uh, calibre in the government might Im bring about? Well, I think it would be damaging on all sorts of levels. Um, I mean, 
I, I was at the launch or at least one of the presentations about the Darlington Economic Campus the other day. And it, and I was struck that 80% of the people that they're recruiting for that campus are coming from the Northeast. Yeah, so that means that the people who are making policy in that campus for all the government departments know about the Northeast. They know about the priorities of the Northeast. And I think that's a very positive thing. And I think Rishi Sunak can take a lot of credit for that because he pioneered that approach. So, you know, I would hate to see that go backwards. I, as I mentioned in the comments earlier, I see three big areas that I think he's got his priorities right. We were very disappointed with his approach on national insurance, but, you know, he listened to us when he said uh, he would in, increase the employment allowance, which meant that the, the, the smallest businesses were sheltered from it. So overall, I would hate to see him get dragged down by what is a crisis that probably should stay at number 10. I agree. Well, thank you all for taking part. Thank you, Emily, for giving us such an insightful start to the discussion. And I hope you'll all come back again in future weeks. That's it for Business Unmuted this week. We'll take a break over the Easter period and be back in a couple of weeks' time. Thank you for joining us.